This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning. My name is Erica Deiters, and I am a full-time instructor here. I teach in the English department some of the composition and creative writing classes. Thank you for coming to the library today for a very special guest, Amy Cross Rosenthal. Um, I have two girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and we're book lovers for sure. And often my daughter Anna at the end of a book will ask, well, who wrote this book? And, and especially if there's a picture, we'll check out the picture and we'll read the biographical blurb. And um, that's how we first encountered Amy Cross Rosenthal. And I also discovered in one of the blurbs that she's written a, a memoir. So in addition to children's literature, literature she does have a book for adults. Um, and my husband and I eagerly read the book and fell in love with it. So it's my pleasure, and I'm so happy to have her here, um, Miss Amy Cross Rosenthal. She'll, she'll, she'll do a little talking, a little reading, and at the end of the event, um, she'll, she'll take questions. If you have questions for her specifically about her children's books, about the writing process, she said she'd be happy to answer questions. In addition, there are some books. The bookstore's here with a table. Uh, you're invited to purchase books, and again, Amy said, um, after your purchase, you'd be happy to sign books as well. So again, without further ado, Amy Cross Rosenthal, thank you so much for being here. Hello. Okay. Is that good? All right. I'm going to start by reading a... Um, little passage about writing. I am often asked why I write and if I always knew I would be a writer. No, I did not always know, but I have always loved words. I have always loved the alphabet. I was enamored with typing from the moment it was first introduced to us in junior high. The act of typing is a happy, comfortable thing for me. My fingers feel at home on a keyboard left hand resting atop ASDF, right hand JKL, semicolon. It is satisfying and even thrilling when I complete a big chunk of text, scroll down under file, and click save. I think this is a strength, feeling tenderly about the nuts and bolts and tools of this trade. Maybe it's not so much a strength, more an indicator, because I think strength implies that I had some role in it. I don't think I did. I was just born with a fondness for letters and language, was predisposed to enjoy playing around with them and it. I remember reading about an artist who, was ans who answered the question, why did you become an artist? With this, because I love the smell of paint. Simple, but in no way glib. In the book, The Writing Life, Annie Dillard relays this conversation between a colleague and student. Do you think I could be a writer? I don't know. Do you like sentences? So that's how I feel about writing. So I'm Amy, and I write children's books. I write grown-up books. I write magazine articles. I do stuff for National Public Radio and stuff like that. So we can, um, at the end, if you have questions in any all of those realms. I just wanted you to understand the context. Um, I have written four adult books, the most recent of which is called Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life. 
It's an alphabetized memoir, basically. And I've written about 12 children's books, um, five or six which are currently out, and the other six are in various stages of production. So, um, yeah, so that's that. I want to lead my little chat with um, an, an acronym that I use to help talk about writing and ideas. And so if you were inclined to take notes, I guess it would be, um, would be this. If you take the word write, as in W-R-I-T-E, this is what I think it stands for. The W is for words. Loving, exploring, soaking up words. Words, 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 words. I'm going to talk more about that in a sec. R is for rejection. There is an insane amount of rejection that goes on before anything ever comes to anything. Um, it took me 10 years to get my first children's book published. I still hang on to one of my many rejection letters from agents. Um, my favorite one was from a woman in New York who just said, Here's to proving me wrong. And I just had that tacked up in my office for a long time until I actually found an agent who said yes. I is for your individual voice, the I, the self. That is your gold. That is the thing that you want to find and cultivate and protect, nurture, nourish. Um, again, I'm going to expound on all these, but... Uh, T is for teachers, you know, finding that teacher, professor, mentor who gets you, who you really click with, and they are right there with you. If you when you find those teachers, hold on to them. Um, sometimes it comes through a book, you know. A teacher can be someone that you, that, that you are studying with through their book, and I'm going to recommend a few. And lastly, the E is for every day. For me, writing is an everyday kind of thing. I try to sit down at my computer just about every day, even if it's for an hour, half hour. Something always comes of it. You know, that's, it's often been said that you, you don't wait around for inspiration to strike. You know, that is a, just a rare thing. It's, it's really the grinding every day and just putting in the hours. The more you put in, the more good stuff comes out. All right, so I'm going to say a few things about each of those words, all right? I think words are pretty much a blast. And I'm always looking for sort of hidden messages in words. The One of my children's books, it's called The OK Book. It started with a very, very simple observation about a word. Actually, this word is the most, um, it's the one word in every language, in every corner of the planet that is understood. It's the word okay. And um, so I noticed one day that the word okay, when you tilt it on its side, it looks like a person. So, I mean, simple thing, right? Um, so this whole book is really about a little fellow who's kind of okay at stuff and tries a lot of different things and he's just okay. But So that's how it started. That's the truth of it, just by that. Um, one of uh, a 
one of my other kids' books that's in production now, started with a similar observation. You take the word alphabet and you divide it up. It could be a guy named Al, A-L, and his last name is Fa. It's kind of weird, but, um, and it's a bet. I was thinking, well, what does that mean, alphabet? So I invented a story about that way back at the dawn of time when shadows were being invented. Somebody had discovered the 26 letters, but they didn't know what order to put them in. So the king had um, proposed a challenge to his kingdom that whoever could come up with the best order of the 26 letters um, would be honored. And so this guy, Al Fa, made a bet with himself that he was going to do it. And it's his journey of figuring out which way the, which order to put the letters in. And playing with the alphabet that way, like, um, he wanted the alphabet to be friendly, so he put the H and the I next to each other. Hi. And M is right in the middle of the alphabet. It's, uh, smack in the middle, so that's why M is there. And then he was going to give up, and he was getting frustrated. It was hard work. And he said, no, I'm not going to give up. So that's why I put the N and the O next to each other. So on like that. You know, there's just, there's just um, everywhere, you know, you just sort of come at things from the back angle. There's just so many ideas and fun ways to look at things. Um, I haven't figured this one out yet, but I kind of like this. I think there might be a story in it. But if you take the word old, right? kind of looks like a face. So, yeah. And then the obvious thing is just trying to learn as many words. I mean, that goes without saying. You guys learned that in first grade. But, um, you know, words are magical. And uh, I had a teacher in third grade. Her name was Mrs. Gottschalk. And I always thought, well, that's kind of her destiny, someone named Gottschalk to grow up to be a teacher. And then here's my last fun word thing I want to share. Is um, I heard this recently. I wish I invented it, but I didn't. Um, an ex-husband could also be referred to as a husband. So I thought that was excellent. So words, 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 words. Um, I also like playing around with like palindromes and um, anagrams, and I discovered that an anagram for my uh, book, Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life, would be Encyclopedia of I, an Ordinary Elf, which I like. Sort of fine. So, yeah. Um, the R, rejection. I don't know how many of you are aspiring, aspiring writers. How many are trying to get published or want to do that? A couple? Okay. Um, I think we said enough about the rejection. I think it's with anything in life, right? I mean, you just anything good is worth the effort, and it's very rarely an easy yes off, you know, straight out of the gate. Um, let's talk a second about the voice thing, because that is probably the most important thing about writing and finding your voice and nurturing it. For a long time, I thought that to be a real writer, you had to write a certain way sort of the way that um, most traditional books are written with the narrative that's ABC, has a full arc. I always found it difficult to write that way. I was much more inclined to writing in short bursts and little snippets and pieces and things that were in my mind. And 
they seemed very disjointed and I couldn't ever really get my head around the idea of writing something cohesive, you know, like a full narrative, a, a novel, let's say. Um, and I did try to force myself to do what I thought was the right way, but that kind of ended up going nowhere. And ultimately, after a lot of exploring and um, dead ends, I, I decided, you know what, I'm only going to be able to write like how I write. And that is how the encyclopedia was born. I thought, well, if I'm going to write all these short little pieces, and I'm going to read a few um, excerpts from the book, this is how I feel comfortable. This is what makes me happy when I sit down to my computer. This is how I want to write. This is the truest extension of myself. I felt like if that, if I can hold on to that, maybe something good will come of it. Forcing myself to be somebody I'm not or something that I, some way I don't know how to write, what, what use is that? So I came up with the structure, this, this, the shell of an encyclopedia, of being able to write whenever I wanted to write, write my story. It would not be linear. It would not be chronological. It would be very random from A to Z. But anything I wanted to write, I could fold into that, into that format. And that's how the encyclopedia was born over a couple of years. Um, instead of, so the heart of the book is, as I just said, thoughts about life from A to Z. What I'm going to read, however, are a couple excerpts that are more in the hidden pages of the book because I'm a big fan of this, of finding there's always an opportunity to do something really cool in an unexpected place, right? For example, there's the legal page with all the copyright stuff in every book at the beginning of the book. But that doesn't have to be dull, right? You can put a little jazz it up a bit. So on that copyright page, It says, buried in the, in the text, not responsible for lost or stolen property, not responsible for the weather, the moon, or the scalding nature of soup, not responsible for the extra S some people add to the word occasion, not responsible for the short edible window between the banana is not ripe enough and the banana is rotten. Not responsible for the lady, lovely ladybug or the purple iris or the flirtatious glance that was yours to enjoy, but which you did not notice. Okay, so that's the copyright page. Next to it, there's a reader's agreement, which anyone who reads this book is required to um, partake in, sign. You agree not to reproduce, replicate, or reprint any of the material in this book without our consent. When reading this book, you agree to give it your undivided attention, and that means no pretend half-reading while calling and placing an order for Thai takeout. At the end of each page, you agree to thrust your arms upward and emit a loud, staccato, hey, just like circus performers do at the end of each stunt. You agree that on any given weekend, there are way too many mattress sales. You agree that while black is technically the absence of color, it makes more sense for it to be all the colors combined, and likewise, that white should be the peaceful, blank absence of color. As for nonfiction and fiction, you agree those should be switched as well. Nonfiction should be the non-true one and fiction true. You obviously also agree that playwright should be spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E. You agree that yes, it is astounding the human ability to eat at seemingly inappropriate times, like after a funeral 
or at a charity luncheon featuring a Holocaust survivor flown in from Amsterdam. You agree to refrain from complaining on Monday about it being Monday and acknowledging on Thursday that it is almost Friday. You agree to see for yourself just how perfectly this book cues up with Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon and The Wizard of Oz. You agree, because it is just so sad and ridiculous, to refrain from talking on your cell phone while working out at your health club or walking your child into school. You agree to provide us with your visa number, please, please include expiration date, and approval to spend up to $500 on merchandise from the current anthropology catalog. You secretly admit that, yeah, your favorite word is your own name. Don't worry, that's normal. Studies have shown that there is an actual physiological response upon hearing your name and that hearing your name releases some sort of happy hormone. That makes sense. Remember when you were a kid and they did roll call? Didn't you feel good when they got to your name? Ava, here. And even now when you pass someone at the hall at work, don't you feel a certain tingle when the colleague says, Hi, Ava, instead of just, Hi, you agree that, yes, we all suffer, perhaps even daily and deeply, but who wants to hear it? You agree that some women look sophisticated wearing a shawl and others foolish. You all agree? Okay. Okay, so my, uh, the last thing I'm going to read is the back cover. Okay. If I'm standing there with a book in my hand, one of three things has already happened. Friend recommended it, read a good review, cover caught my eye. I can appreciate a cool cover, but it's like the extra credit part of a test. It only enhances an already solid grade. Getting it right won't help if most everything else is wrong, and getting it wrong won't hurt if most everything else is right. There are countless books I cherish whose covers I don't, I don't like too much or cannot even now recall. The interior of the book, the terrain of its pages, where all those words took me, the tiny but very real spot it ultimately occup occupies in my brain, that becomes the book. Next I go to the flaps. The front flap needs to intrigue slash not bore me, and the bio needs to tell me just enough about the author. I'll do my best to extract the author's entire existence from their two-by-two-inch photo. Off to the back cover. I'll be momentarily impressed when I see a blurb by a hot writer like blank, but I know that this is just as like that it is just as likely that I'll like the book as hate it, regardless of these quotes. I look at the quotes in more of a voyeuristic way, like a literary's gaper delay. Wow, the author knows so and so. I bet they send each other clever text messages. Really, the only thing I can gauge from the blurbs is my own pathetic jealousy level. To get a true sense of the book, I have to spend a minute inside. I'll glance at the first couple pages, and then I flip to the middle, see if the language matches me somehow. It's like dating, only with sentences. Some sentences, no matter how well-dressed or nice, just don't do it for me. Others I click with immediately. It could be something as simple yet weirdly potent as a single word choice. Tangerine. We're meant to be, that sentence in me. And when it happens, you just know. So that's the back cover. Any questions so far? I feel like I'm talking a lot.
Um, I also want to talk about that the I standing for ideas. Okay. I talked a little bit about the words finding, finding um, magic, finding inspiration in single words. And I want to talk a little bit about how I got some of the ideas for other books. I wrote a book called Cookies, children's book, bite-sized life lessons. And basically I wanted to try and uh, give teachers, parents, kids a way of understanding big concept words but in a more um, contextual way, meaning that sometimes I feel like a dictionary, uh, if you look up the word compassionate, it'll say uh, something like, you know, giving com compassion or something like that. You know, it uses the word, and so it's a bit circular. And I thought, well, it might be easier to teach kids about these big concept words all through real-life examples, which is how I find when I'm explaining stuff to my kids, instead of really defining the word, I'll be like, well, it's like this. So the whole book is cooperate means how about you add the chips while I stir, or trustworthy means if you ask me to hold your cookie when you come back, I'll still be holding your cookie. Compassionate means don't be sad you dropped your cookie. Here, you can have some of my cookie. So it's all like that. Um, so for, for this book, it really evolved out of something that I noticed as a truth, a truth about explaining things, about education, about human, how humans really grasp information best. And I like to think of this as um, my kitchenary. Instead of a dictionary, it's a little bit of a kitchenary. And there's two more coming out in this series of, of the cookies books. Um, and so, yeah, that, that's how that idea evolved. Um, another book that's coming out is called Spoon, and that started out of a simple observation looking in my kitchen drawer and noticing that, like, the little spoon seemed to have a, its own personality. It looked like a little fellow with the big head, and I started thinking about what a spoon would be like in comparison to the other cutlery in the drawer. So the story of Spoon is about... A spoon who feels like all the other guys have it so much better than him. The fork gets to go everywhere. The knife gets to cut and spread. Even the chopsticks are so cool and exotic. And he's kind of envious of all those other guys. And so it's his uh, journey trying to figure out what, why he's lucky. So, um, yeah. And then, okay, so the last one I'll talk about is a book called It's Not Fair. And that started by just, you know, I think those are probably the three most popular words in any household. You you have more than one kid, and you hear, oh, it's not fair. So I wrote that actually when my son was, I don't know, about seven years old. And um, it's it takes the – actually, I think I'm going to read this one, okay, because I think there's stuff to talk about in here. I should also say that the dedication says, why is mom only dedicating this to Miles? It's not fair. 
This is the um, galley, so it's a little bit hard for me to hold, meaning it's the um, not the real copy yet, but we'll try. Why did I get the smaller half? Why did he get the bigger laugh? Why can't I have a pet giraffe? It's not fair. Why can't I have curly locks? Why can't I have my own box? Why now the chicken pox? It's not fair. You get to stay up late. I get to go. I got to go up at eight. They said they would, but didn't wait. It's not fair. Why don't you yell at her? Hey, it was my turn to stir. The eye doctor. I don't know. It's all a blur. It's not fair. Why does she get brand new shoes? Why does my team always lose? Why did I get? Well, I think I missed a page. It's not fair. Sorry. Okay, so now it, it takes a turn, right? That was all real life stuff. Now we're in a nursery, the hospital, and the babies are saying, why'd I get these funny feet? Why'd she get the window seat? I always get the boring sheet. It's not fair. The stool is saying, why'd he get an extra leg? And the game is saying, why am I the sole square peg? Why must I lay all the he eggs, says the hen? It's not fair. Why does she get all the flies? Why does he get all the eyes? It's like an alien. It's not fair. Two little koalas. Why am, always, why am I always bottom bunk? Here's Humpty. Why did I have to go kerplunk? It's not fair. Oh, we got the planets. How come she gets all the rings? And the pig wonders, why do birds get all the wings? It's not fair. Lastly, the books are talking. Why can't books go on and on? No more endings, only once upons. It's not fair. And then the back cover says, why does the front get all the glory? Why does the inside get all the story? Even the spine thinks life is hunky-dory. It's not fair. So, yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I, I sometimes try, <laughs> but um, no, I work with all different illustrators on all my children's books. Yeah. Yeah, sure. There's a question? Oh, I'm sorry. 
the question was, do I do the illustrations myself? And the answer is no, I do not. I work with all different illustrators on all the different books. Um, sometimes I am part of the process of choosing an illustrator, which is great, and it's collaborative. And other times it's really the domain of the editor at the publishing house, and they choose the, the um, illustrator. Like Cookies, for example, I had no involvement in. This was one of my first books. It was totally my editor's vision, which I think she did an excellent job, but I take zero credit. She, she chose Jane Dyer, who's a wonderful illustrator. So the first time I saw this book, it was complete. Whereas It's Not Fair and the OK book, um, I actually sat down. The, the illustrator and I are very collaborative. He's from the Chicago area, and we work together. So it's two extremes and everything in between. Any more questions on that subject before we go on? I can't tell if you guys are like really engaged or so bored. <laughs> okay. Um, you don't have to answer that either. Oh, okay. So let's just talk for a second about it's not fair. For me, that I mean, I think it's obvious to to you probably that. Um, I thought the best way to try to explain, you know, the kids were saying it's not fair, it's not fair. But you know what? Like, right? What's fair? Nothing. And so instead of lecturing about that and saying the thing that, you know, all of our parents always said, life's not fair, um, I think it's more comforting to hear that everybody thinks it's not fair. And that's why I took the book into sort of the um, absurd angle, that everybody, every single body thinks stuff's not fair, even inanimate objects, and I, I, I hope that that, is, that will be a comfort to kids, because um, there is no such thing really as equality. Um, all right, so T, teachers. I'm going to uh, recommend a few books that I, that I think are really helpful in terms of writing and publishing and children's books. So you can write down whatever is relevant to your particular path. Um, I mentioned earlier the book The Writing Life by Annie Dillard. I think that's an excellent, excellent book about writing. And it's really about just sort of creativity in general, I think, about keeping your eyes open. Um, and likewise, the book by Anne Lamott. Maybe some of you read Bird by Bird. It's one of my favorites. It's a beautiful book. In the children's book side of things, um, I really like the biography of Margaret Wise Brown. She's legendary. She's the one who wrote Goodnight Moon and dozens and dozens and dozens of books. Um, and I would read anything that William Steig has written. You guys probably know him as the author of Shrek. But he wrote so many wonderful, wonderful books. Um, Shrek isn't even my favorite. My favorite book of William Steig's is Sylvester and the Magic Pebble. I also highly recommend um, Jeff Herman's Guide to Book Publishing and Literary Agents, if that's um, something you're looking to do. And there's also something called The Writer's and Illustrator's Guide to Children's Book Publishers. So. If you want to talk more about those or have specific questions afterwards, you can ask me. Writers and Illustrators Guide to Children's Book Publishers. 
There's also a lot of great stuff in Chicago. Um, if you don't know about it, there's the 826 program. Are some of you familiar with that? Have you read Dave Eggers' Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius, any of you? No? Wow, you did. Um, well, I would recommend that book, Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. It's one of the best books of the decade, easy. Um, and Dave Eggers is an amazing writer, and he started a writing workshops, uh, free writing centers, tutoring and writing centers for kids all over the country. There's one in Chicago, and I bring it up, um, not because you can go there and do your homework because it's for elementary school kids, but they have, if you go to the website, which is 826-CHI-826-CHI.org, uh, they have all kinds of uh, free workshops, adult programs um, throughout the year. It's just an amazing center downtown. Another great um, resource for um, cultivating your voice and just seeing what's out there is a magazine called The Believer, and that's also put out by um, Dave Eggers' troupe. But it's a very interesting magazine, The Believer. And lastly, what I'll say about Chicago is if uh, you, the hideout, do you guys know the hideout, club downtown? Do you guys get into the city? Okay. Um, they're always having, they're, they're an amazing club. They have bands all the time. But what they also do really, really well is literary events. Um, and they're fantastic. They're, they have a, an interview show where they interview different writers and musicians. Um, I think that's the first Friday of the month. And there's something called Funny Ha Ha, which is a, sort of a, variety show of, of uh, writers and musicians. So anyways, you can check out the Hideout website. Really great stuff. And lastly, um, I should say in the city, if you do find yourself there and wanting to um, spend some time writing, there's a, there's a place called the Uptown Writer's Loft where you can go and hibernate and write. And that's, um, where is it, like Broadway and uh, right above the Green Mill. So, okay. Okay, lastly, the E is for every day, like I said, writing every day, just putting in the hours as much as you can. I find the most helpful thing is carrying around a notebook, that if you decide that you're going to have ideas and the notebook is that sort of anchoring thing in your bag, your purse, whatever, your backpack, if you have a notebook, you will have ideas. It's sort of like I always have a pen in my hand. I feel most comfortable when I have a pen in my hand. I encourage you all, not that you have to keep a journal, it doesn't, it's a whole different thing. Maybe, I mean, I never actually kept journals, diaries. Um, I think it's great, but there is a different way to do it, which is just having a place to put ideas, observations. The more that you train yourself to think that way, the more ideas you'll have. Um, and I guarantee you, if you put a notebook in your bag and you have it for that purpose, you will see your productivity increase, like 200%. Um, and I like to say that the I, I didn't ha I don't have any fancy degrees. I didn't go to school uh, to study writing. I was a French major, and I have never really participated in any formal writing training. So what I'm saying is that it's it's really possible to do this what, whatever path you choose. The PhD I have I say stands for putting in hours daily. So um, 
I'm a big fan of doing what you love and not worrying about any, you know, certain path that you think you're supposed to take. You can make your own path. Erica, what else? Please. I had always been drawn to nonfiction. Even as a kid, I loved reading biographies. I loved anything that was true. Um, it was always my first question reading something or watching a movie. I was like, is that true? Did that really happen? I always wanted to like n know which way was it. And so I had a hard time getting my head around fiction. In fact, in college, I took a creative writing class. And um, it was, you know, fiction. And I couldn't do it. Like, I, I just, I was really having a hard time making stuff up. I was always writing true things. And ultimately, my professor just sort of let me, he's like, okay, you got to, you know, do it that way, do it that way. I couldn't make stuff up. gotten a little bit better of that, and mostly through my children's book writing. But, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, it's okay to, well, and then I did make the journey over, okay? So, yes, I was enamored with and very, very drawn to nonfiction. However, as I moved along in my writing career and just growing up as a person, I guess, I did. I delved into fiction more, and now I read both. I love short stories. I've read a lot of novels, but it took me a while to get there. Um, I'm still asked the question, when am I going to write a novel? Like, that that's the, seems to be the... Um, People think that the nonfiction writing is like some kind of warm-up to uh, the the novel, like that's the real thing. I don't know if I'll if I'll do it, but yeah. What else? What are you guys? What are you all hoping to do with your lives? You have a question? Uh-huh. Are you talking about, um, this is a, qu a question about trying to get published. Are you trying to publish a book or an article? A children's book. Okay. When it comes to books, what I recommend doing, there's two ways to go. You can... Well, there's three ways, actually. You can send stuff out to publishing houses yourself, but it's very difficult because many, many publishing houses, the editors there will not even look at stuff. That's, they call it um, unsolicited. It ends up in what's called a slush pile, meaning it did not come in through an agent. It came in, you know, 
as through an individual. Some houses will look at that stuff, but you, you, the odds are against you, okay? But it doesn't mean you can't do it. Secondly, you can try and get an agent, which is the way I recommend doing it because it's hard enough to write, right? And an agent's job is to understand the, the nuances, all the, the um, behind-the-scenes stuff of the publishing houses and to know all the editors who work there and who might respond to your work. That's an agent's job. So if you're going to work your butt off trying to send this stuff out anyways to publishers, my feeling is work your butt off trying to get an agent. It'll take you probably the same amount of time. Once you have an agent who believes in you and your work, then it's their job to send it out. Um, finding an agent through one of those books I recommend. Um, if you go to Amazon and you just sort of type in the search box guide to um, editors, agents, and publishers, put those words in, you'll find these two books I was talking about. Yeah, and they're all listed. Like, And the agents will give a little description about themselves. Um, it's also separated by children's book agents. So that's how I started. Okay. What else? So who, how many of you guys are studying to be teachers, elementary school teachers? So, okay, a lot. Okay, and then how many, we talked about how many are writing. Um, let me see those hands again, like people who are trying to get published in one way or another. Okay. And then everybody else is, I don't know yet. Forced. Forced. So the, the yeah you have a question yeah. Sort of. Um, <laughs> no, okay, let me see. It's your question. Um, am I aware of how I write? And is it something that I'm, like, super conscious of or forcing? And, like, yeah, go ahead. Like, just, like, what, like, you're just writing, like, how, kind of, like, how you feel, like, it's just what's coming out, like, just more you? Mm-hmm. Or more of, like, you want it to, like, then be a certain way? Okay, more the first thing. Um so the question is, am I trying to write a certain way, like forcing something, a certain voice, or am I writing how I naturally would write? And the answer for sure is, no, I forgot which is the former and the latter. I'm writing how I most naturally feel. And I, I, I spoke a little bit about that a few minutes ago, but I can't emphasize that enough. And that's really with anything, any kind of writing you're doing, whether it's um, a term paper or a piece of creative writing, um, anything, a, a letter to a friend. You know, that's it. That's all we have, right, is who we are. And um, the, the the irony there is that you would think that it would be the the easiest thing in the universe to be yourself. But, I mean, we were all teenagers once, right? Or you guys still are, but um, to some degree. Like, finding yourself and who you are, that's, that's a lot of work. It should be super easy. It's the same thing with your writing voice. We make it harder for ourselves by trying to write like somebody else or how we think is real writing. 
not to say that we can be sloppy and I mean you need to know all the real stuff, the grammar, the spelling. I'm a stickler for that stuff. But really write how you feel. I have a friend who like I swear since every day since third grade, whatever whether it's a letter or an email or a birthday card, every single sentence ends with an exclamation mark. That is my friend Susie, okay? She couldn't change it if she tried. I mean she's not a professional writer, but I mean I, I kid her, but every single sentence, that is her. What is your thing? You know, if you happen to write formally, go with it. If you like to write in five-word senten- five sentences, short staccato sentences, if that's how you feel, do it. If you like long, fluid, prosy, Proustian sentences, that's you. You know, everybody's got their thing. And I, I'm pretty sure, too, if you go back and look at all your favorite books, one of the reasons why it was your favorite book, it's probably the story, too, but it's mostly the voice of that writer. That's a really exciting thing. It's the same with music. You know, you put a CD on or you, you hear a new band and it's like, it's special. It's special because it's like they're themselves. It's different. It's always the same theme. Does that make sense? What else? Yeah. I like it all. I like it all. Um, I'm working on more children's books. I'm working on more adult books. And I find that I work best when I have multiple things cooking. Also, because the process is so long, it's usually about two years. That's if it goes well between, like, a finished manuscript and when the book is out in the world. It's a very long process, so the more I have kind of going, the better I feel. Also, it helps me prevent writer's block a bit. If I'm working on a bunch of things at once and I'm sitting there at my computer and something's just not working, I just close that document and go to something else. So I'm usually working on multiple books at the same time. But that's another thing to figure out, you know, maybe the next person is better focusing on one thing. But I guess your real question was, do I like children's books or adult books better? And I love them both, and I hope to keep doing them both. It took me a lot longer to break into the children's book market for some reason. I'd been, I started them around the same time, but I had um, an easier time getting into the adult market, and the kids' book thing just took me a long, long time. You know, I also talk about, um, this is kind of interesting, talking about ideas and looking at things from a different angle. My one of my first kids' books is called Little Pea. And it's the story of a little green pea who um, has to eat candy. He hates candy, but he, unless he finishes his candy, he can't have dessert. That book started as a, a story that I told my daughter at bedtime. She was little. It just was one of those very rare occasions where I made up a story and it actually worked. 99% of the time, they're really dumb stories. So that's how that one started. But the, the interesting thing that I want to get at is my editor then asked me to try and come up with a sequel. So for a long time, I was thinking about, well, what would be the story after Little P? Because really the twist was that this P hated candy. That was the essence of the story. But for a long time, I was thinking about, well, what happens next with Little P? I mean, it wasn't like, oh, Little P's first day of school. It wasn't the, it wasn't right because that wasn't the, the essence of the book. 
So two years later, I realized that really what the sequel was was going to be about another inversion, another taking a simple thing and turning it upside down, the pea who hates candy. So the second, the second book that just came out a couple weeks ago is called Little Hoot, and it's about an owl who wants to go to bed early like all of his other friends, but he has to stay up late and play, and he doesn't want to. And his mom says, you have to stay up late and play for one more hour, and then you can go to bed. So that's the inversion. And I didn't know when Little P started that it was actually going to be a trilogy, but the last one in the series that will be out next year, let's see if anybody can guess it, okay? The main things the kids hate, right? The candy issue, I mean, the you know, eating, finishing your dinner, having dessert, going to bed. What would be the third book? In that realm, bigger picture of that, what's that encompassing? Uh-huh. So what would the animal be and what would the story be? You got it. The third one in the series, the third and final, is Little Oink. It's about a pig who really wants to be clean, but his parents say he can't go out and play unless until he messes up his room and takes all the toys out of the bin and puts on a dirty shirt. So that's a little oink. But, see, I'm, I'm bringing that up because when I finally figured out the inversion thing, that that was really what the, the stories were going to be about, that was going to give me the, the leverage or the freedom to have multiple stories, then it worked. So if something's not working, usually it means you need to go into another door. You know what I mean? How are we time-wise? Yes. The question is, do I like most of the stuff that I write or do I hate it or, or write the ratio? That's a good question. Um, I, I don't like everything and it doesn't always work. So there are a lot of dead ends. Um, but when I can really pay attention to what I am really feeling at the moment, what I'm most focused and jazzed about, then I'm, I'm usually in a good place. And then the idea works. And sometimes an idea will come out almost whole. And other times it is just a laborious long process. I've been working on one book idea. I can't get it to work. I like have three quarters of it. It's just been on my computer for like two years and I'm just waiting for the right click for the puzzle to fit. Um, so it's often like that. It's, it's often like a lot of starts and stops and reworking and every once in a while it'll come out right. I like those the best, but yeah. Any other questions about children's books, about teaching kids? Yeah. Hmm. Um, it's better now. It used to be like 0%. <laughs> um, Maybe, I don't know, like half or something? Something like that? About half? Yeah. 
it's, you know, the no's never stop. I just submitted a book idea. I thought it was kind of good. I liked it. And the editor thought it was it was about a kid running away. Um, and that the mom was so sad she cried buckets and buckets of tears. And they lived in the desert. And so when the girl finally came home, they, they were dumping the buckets out and they grew flowers, which had never grown before in the desert soil and it was off in the buckets of tears and the girl came home and whatever. I mean, but what they said was they thought the story that nobody would want to, it was too um, ominous, scary to talk about running away for kids, which I sort of don't agree with, but, you know, there it is. So there's always, someone's always ready to say no. I'm going to end with, oh, you have a question? Yeah. I think it all comes from the same place, really. Um, I, you know, I'm not sure that I could compartmentalize it as neatly as, like, my kids' books are, I'm inspired through my kids or my family or being, a, you know, like, some of it is more stuff that I'm excited about, too, like the the word okay thing. Like, that really wasn't about my kids. It turned out to be a nice message for kids about trying stuff and it's okay to be okay. But um, for me, it was more of that simple word observation, right? And a lot, so there's a lot of overlap for me. Some of it is just my inclination, the way I look at stuff and ideas, and sometimes that turns into a kid's book and sometimes that turns into an adult book. But I'm always just kind of like trying to be alert, be aware. And there's and, and um that's the other thing that I like about working in multiple arenas, the kids' books, the adult books, even radio, magazines, which we didn't talk about as much. Um, I feel like an idea has the most chance to live when you come up with something that you're excited about. Let that thing evolve, craft it, make it, whatever it is, a book, a piece of pottery, a painting, a song, whatever that thing is that you're excited about. So what I'm trying to say, this is getting a little abstract, but I create that thing and then I try and see where it fits best. I don't always know what the end thing is. Like the okay observation could have evolved into some kind of adult thing, right? But it was most at home in a children's book. And, I, and I'm sort of always doing that. I'm thinking, if I'm writing something, I'm not sure what it is yet. I, I try and let it grow naturally, organically. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Isn't that always the way? We don't know what something is till it's done. We look back in hindsight and we understand it. I'm going to, do we have any more questions? I'm going to read one last passage. I'm going to read this passage from Encyclopedia, and I encourage you all to write your own like this. My son did it. It was such a treasure. Write, you'll see what I mean after I read this, but I really encourage you all to write a page like this and tuck it away and look at it again in 10 years. Summarize your life this way. 
So this is the last entry of the book. It's called You, Y-O-U. Perhaps you think I didn't matter because I lived blank years ago and back then life wasn't as lifelike as it is to you now. That I didn't truly, fully, with all my senses, experience life as you are presently experiencing it. Or think about blank as you do with such intensity and frequency. But I was here and I did things. I shopped for groceries. I stubbed my toe. I danced at a party in college and my dress spun around. I hugged my mother and father and hoped they would never die. I pulled change from my pocket. I wrote my name with my finger on a cold, fogged-up window. I used a dictionary. I had babies. I smelled someone barbecuing down the street. I cried to exhaustion. I got the hiccups. I counted the tiles in my shower. I hoped something would happen. I had my blood pressure taken. I wrapped my leg around my husband's leg in bed. I was rude when I shouldn't have been. I watched the cellist bow go up and down, and I adored the music he made. I picked at a scab. I wished I was older. I wished I was younger. I loved my children. I loved mayonnaise. I sucked my thumb. I chewed on a blade of grass. I was here, you see. I was. Thank you so much for coming today. I also need to thank Walter Fronsack, the Dean of Liberal Arts, for um, helping us finance and arrange for this. Thank you, Aileen Donnersberger, our Chair of Social Sciences and an Education Instructor. Thanks to Troy for helping us organize in the library. Most of all, thank you, Amy, for coming. It was a pleasure to have you and wonderful to listen to you read and talk. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Library podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library.